You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Chris Sharp. He's talking to me from L.A. Chris, thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, thanks for the invitation. Happy to do this interview. Chris, let's talk about the gallery, Chris Sharp Gallery. You uh, just opened this year in January 2021, um, essentially in, in, in the middle of the of the pandemic in in L.A. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, about that? I want to talk about the program and what's happening there, but also just the timing of your of your opening seems um, auspicious somehow or, or maybe ominous. I, I don't know. Tell me why that opening and, and what were the thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, totally. It seems kind of counterintuitive given that I think it was the second wave um, towards the, the end of the second wave of the pandemic um, here in Los Angeles. And I don't know, I just, um, it was kind of an overnight decision. I mean, I guess it, it had been kind of percolating in the background for a while, but my partner and I were running a space in our living room during the pandemic called Feuilleton where we were just showing works in paper and we had this one artist that we wanted to show, but she also made larger work. And um, and I I thought, you know what, I'm just going to look for a space. And I had a look. And the first person I reached out to said his landlord um, had another space. We went and met with him. He offered uh, a really great deal and then a kind of COVID discount for like this first six months of rent. And then I just took it. Um, uh, it seemed maybe, I don't know, it seemed like on paper, uh, like if you really thought about it, a terrible idea, but something about it just seemed right to me. So I just went ahead and did it. And um, so far it's been, you know, it's been great. We're, I'm not out of business. Um, sales have been pretty strong and it's been pretty well received uh, by the local community and I guess internationally as well. And and let's talk about the the program there. I you know you of course had um, a previous space Lulu, in um, mm-hmm. in Mexico. Uh, how is this space different? What is a what is the program essentially of of Chris Sharp Gallery? Is it very similar to Lulu, uh, or, or if not, what are what are the differences in the in the, in the program, so to speak? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's, in some ways, it kind of carries on the spirit of Lulu in that I'm really interested in showing artists uh, who think plastically, as it were, so whose practices um, are really embedded in form and questions of form and materials um, and in which, say, like politics or personal identity or what have you are kind of indivisible from how things are made and the materials that they use. but it's different from Lulu in that, first of all, I'll be representing artists. Lulu is a project space. And secondly, I'm really, one of the reasons I wanted to open this space um, is because I've been uh, working with a number of really great artists who are based in LA, such as like Tom Allen or Tyler Vlachowicz, um, and then others in the program who are new to me, like Ishi Glinsky, um, who don't have representation here and, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure that there are, the, I mean, there's tons of great galleries in LA, but I'm, I'm just not sure that there's even the kind of 
space that would be appropriate for them or, or the kind of programs. So the the program's really responding in large part to like just the lack of visibility of these great artists. Um, so the program in general will be kind of half LA and then half international. Like some, a couple artists from New York and then a few artists who, one from Mexico, one from Germany. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's really, you know, Lulu is very much about this kind of short-term uh, relationship where I would do a solo exhibition and sometimes a solo booth at an art fair somewhere. Um, and the, the gallery, it's really about kind of committing to these um, long-term relationships and accompanying these artists um, and really trying to develop their careers and visibility. So it's, it's kind of a whole different monster, I guess. I like that. Well, it sounds like it's, um, in terms of the the type of monster it is, it's it's one that's uh, potentially more nurturing and, and, and long-term in its in its outlook. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's what you're saying. So, so let's talk about the the current show um, that's there. That's um, Altoon Sultan. Is that what's currently there? Yeah, we. I have um, actually two shows at the gallery: Altoon Sultan, and then in the back, um, a two-person show of Jeff Feld and Sean Sullivan. And all three of these artists actually had solos at Feuilleton. Um, our project space in the living room during the pandemic. And so in a way, this is kind of an homage to that former project in that um, they were artists that we got to show in this kind of more reductive way. And, and somebody like Altoon, um, I, I really wanted to see more work in a single space by her and see how people would respond to it and kind of give her the exposure that she needs. Um, she's a super interesting position She's an artist from New York uh, who studied with Lois Dodd and Philip Perlstein in the late 60s and early 70s. And she went on the show at Marlboro and its heyday and then later at Tibor Denage. And she has work in the collection of the Met. But she moved to Vermont about 27 years ago, kind of um, checked out of the New York art world. Not that she hasn't been regularly exhibiting, but... Um, She's really just kind of committed to making her work. And she's one of these positions, I think a bit like Lois Dodd, where she's had a, a long career, but she um, hasn't had the kind of visibility that the work really merits. And, um, and it's, it's amazing. So what she does is she, she, principally she paints an egg tempera on calfskin parchment. It's kind of really exquisite small-scale paintings, um, which are details of agricultural uh, equipment, so like machinery. Um, when you see them up close, like these kind of crop details, they, they look like they could be quasi-abstractions. Um, they're really luminous, um, and uh, you can see kind of like all sorts of mark-making, um, really, really strange, beautiful paintings. But I think... I mean, conceptually, I guess a way to think about them is that they, one thing she's interested in is kind of industrialized um, agriculture and food production. Um, it's something that's kind of in the landscape around her. Um, and it's funny that she depicts it in such a way that it kind of discloses um, this thing that none of us really see, but, uh, you know, directly impacts our lives on a regular basis. 
um, and at the same time kind of conceals it in this detail of abstraction. So there's this funny kind of conceptual paradox um, at the heart of the work, but I think she's she's very much a, a formalist in like the, the kind of classical post-war New York sense of like really thinking about light and form um, and tone and color and just, uh, yeah, it's really, really gorgeous work. And then in the back, I have um, Jeff Feld and Sean Sullivan. Jeff is an artist who is 60, Altoon's 73, so she's a bit older, Jeff's 60, and he's this great sculptor, lives in Queens, uh, has been working for a number of years, and he's presented this really beautiful um, sculpture made out of cardboard, which is like this kind of series, it's like a repetitive form of kind of ovals tied together with um, uh, black ties or zip ties. Um, and it's and this is this is Tom way. Tom Allen we're talking about. No, this is Jeff Feld. Jeff Feld. Jeff Feld. Okay. Um, yeah, he's in the back with Sean Sullivan. Um, so I think it's it's one of these sculptures where it has this like really beautiful internal logic. Um, and then with Sean Sullivan, he's an artist based in upstate New York, who makes these really beautiful oil transfer drawing paintings on used paper. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I mean, I, I think one thing that these artists all have in common, especially have in common with the legacy, I guess, of Lulu, although I shouldn't say legacy because Lulu is still going, um, is, I guess, um, my interest in the idiosyncratic, um, where practices are kind of all very individual um, and the 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 motivations um, and ways of making aren't uh, immediately clear. So, so yeah, interesting. Really, really um, it, I mean, the, the idiosyncratic idea is fascinating. And, and I mean, it also strikes me that, um, as you're saying, uh, Jeff Feld, um, you know, is a Queens-based artist, right? And, and Sean Sullivan is, is, is based in upstate New York, is, is that correct? It, yeah, in Hudson Valley, yeah. So you're working yeah. with two artists who are are outside the city, are outside, you know, east or west coast cities, right, which is, mm -hmm. you know, Sean Sullivan and, and Altoon Sultan. Um, do you think mm -hmm. that's affected their careers? I mean, typically, you know, artists uh, that are, are doing well are, are in a city or at least have a studio in the city and maybe there's one they have outside a city but they're in LA or they're in New York or or somewhere very close and I don't know if that's part of the kind of idio you know syncretic nature of what they're doing but but being outside I always thought mm. it makes it a little harder to build those connections to reach someone like you even um, because they're they're not in the typical mix of of other artists. Mm. Is that true? Or, 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 or part of what, what you're looking for? It just seems, yeah, un unusual. Yeah, it's funny, actually, that you bring that up. You, I mean, you, you kind of, yeah, there's a kind of parallel there between, you know, being outside of uh, major art centers and the idiosyncratic. I mean, that's one thing that's interested me lately. Um, I, I've noticed, for instance, there's like a kind of group of painters in upstate New York who I think are more interesting than most of what I see in New York. And I feel like these are all painters who lived in New York, 
and withdrew, um, you know, due to the maybe in part to the pressures and exigencies of working in this uh, like hyper commercial, almost I would say standardized um, art center of New York, where you know artists are constantly having to think in series and produce in series. Think you know works have to be large. Um, they just I, I feel like they're kind of have a relationship to the market which is totally different and I think it's you know it's 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 I think right now is a moment where the idiosyncratic is is uh, less tolerated than ever you know given um, the political climate of a lot of what's being produced where it's you know there's there's no kind of it's a lot of it has to do with these kind of very straightforward portraiture and some of which is absolutely amazing but it's, I think we're in this moment where, like, your politics have to be totally clear. You know, there's there's kind of no space for irony or ambiguity or what have you. And, and you know, necessarily the, the idiosyncratic is totally marginalized because it, it's, it can't be kind of politically instrumentalized in the same way that somebody with a very clear uh, political agenda can be. Um, so, and I think, yeah, it's interesting. It's I, I think leaving the city and, and kind of withdrawing to kind of more remote um, spaces, I think kind of creates or allows a space for the idiosyncratic to flourish, you know, because it's it's just not preoccupied with the same, I guess, kind of political and art historical pressures that a lot of these artists are working with. So, I mean... That's very, that, you know, yeah, that's very interesting, yeah. But at the same time, some of the artists I'm working with, um, like Tyler Vlachovich or Tom Allen or even Ishi Glinsky, they all live in Los Angeles. Um, and they're, they're kind of... I mean, with the exception of Ishi, I think Ishi is a Native American artist who's from Arizona, has lived in L.A. for about 15 years. And Ishi is you know, borderline um, Native American activists, but not quite. I think he has a very, there are idiosyncratic aspects or components to his practice where he's, you know, he's very attached to form and color and materials, just how things are made, which he does in his, in his very own individual way. But it's funny, the rest of my positions, it's kind of hard to like place them or locate them within um, contemporary currents, as it were. So the contemporary currents, that's, that, that's so interesting that you're talking about, of course, are, are in, in part, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, by the last few years of um, political upheaval in the United States and the world from, you know, social justice issues to to you know the, the the politics of of um you know of of, of gender and and so much that we see and identity and, yeah. yeah yeah and identity and and while there's some artists that are addressing those issues or perhaps many artists or or that's what it seems like all the artists i know uh, are typically not directly addressing those ideas they're doing what they want to do because that's what artists do, artists aren't necessarily, the position is, is, is political, you could say, to be an artist, but to have 
to have your politics clear um, is is usually not what artists I know want to do. They want to make work that's that's interesting, that's beautiful, that's that asks questions, or maybe is even research based. But the the element of of politics in here, of what are your politics, as being important to know to even evaluate the work, as I understand what you're saying, you're saying has yeah. um, has has kind of ascended, right? That's that's now what's what, what's happening, and and if that is the case, um, how are you managing that? It, it, you know, because you're you're picking artists that, you know. It, I mean, with the exception of maybe the one that you just mentioned, but you're picking artists who it sounds like don't have that as what they're putting out first. That isn't their agenda, and their work isn't being framed in that way. So, um, so you're you're kind of going against that trend to some to some degree, right? And 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 how how is that managed? Do you have any pushback with with collectors or viewers? I mean, I'm kind of curious how this whole like zeitgeist happens. I mean, I guess we know, right? It's it's social media and everything with the, with the politics that's happening now. But I'm just wondering, so where does that leave you as as the gallerist showing work? Yeah, that funny. Are... Well, I guess um, I mean I think that the zeitgeist is really uh, I, sponsored in part by a large part by Trump. You know, when Trump came into office, I remember I was at a dinner in Mexico City. And a colleague said to me, um, once Trump was elected, say, the, my colleague said to me, you would now have your first Latin American president, um, which I think is really significant because in these, you know, Latin America is a hyper-political context when it comes to art. Like there's, politics are almost generally more important than art or like a kind of clear ideological stance, right? Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of far-right insanity pushed people to kind of take really clear ideological positions. Um, and, and that's, I think that's the kind, and I think in a way it kind of made the art scene in America a lot more like Latin America and that it became hyper-political. But as, as far as, you know, and it, as far as like my gallery goes and my position, I guess I already had that the, the position I have when running Lulu, which is you know a gallery in Mexico City where um, everything is kind of anti neoliberalism or capitalism and you know very motivated by kind of classical Marxism um, and I was kind of showing in that context very, still pretty idiosyncratic positions. And so my position hasn't really changed. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really felt any blowback. I mean, the program has been pretty well supported occasionally. I think people, some people are a bit puzzled by the current show, like, you know, these small paintings of, like, farm equipment. Like, where do you put, what is that, you know? Um, but at the same time, the show's done really well. Um, people or at least the right people seem to really love it. The work's been really embraced, and I think a lot of people see it as really refreshing um, because of, you know, the fact that it is so kind of irreducibly itself, and, 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 it, can, and, it's like, and it can't really be uh, instrumentalized the way that I'd say some other contemporary art 
uh, can be. So, you know, I, it depends on the show. Some shows, I think, uh, are maybe closer to the contemporary zeitgeist and they have a broader appeal, but then others, um, it's, you know, but it's, it's for, it's, I think it's kind of the reputation I've built for myself or maybe the profile in that, you know, I really tend to gravitate towards work where it embraces um, these different questions and really um, creates or sustains a space or, uh, for paradox and contradiction and ambiguity and even irony, all of these things which the contemporary zeitgeist has basically, you know, rendered, you know, totally unwelcome. It's, 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 um, well, I'm glad you're, you're showing that kind of work and it's, and it's interesting to have this, this conversation, you know, there's, there's, you know, what, what, what's welcome in the art world and, and what isn't welcome in the art world. I mean, just to ask one more question about that, when we talk about what's, what's not welcome in the art world, as you just said, what does that mean exactly? Is that, is that more academically or is that, um, uh, you know, I mean, by academics, the kind of, you know, writing politics uh, and, and essayists and reviewers, or is that collectors or, or, or both? Where does that notion come from? Uh, yeah, that's funny. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess you're working with, you know, a, a university institution. It feels like what, what interests academics is generally not what interests collectors or contemporary art in general. Right. I would say there's, it, it seems there might be less of a gap now than ever, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it feels like, it does feel kind of academic in like the bad sense of the term where like everything's codified, you know, like these are things you can and can't do. These are suitable subjects, you know? So in that sense, it's, it feels like we're kind of living in, in, in a kind of academic moment. I mean, at the same time, I feel like it's a kind of radical extreme, um, which is generally a corrective because I think, you know, it's very much right now about people of color and and it's created an enormous amount of visibility for artists who didn't formerly have the same kind of visibility. And this is important and hopefully, um, you know, it's, uh, how do I put it? It's not just a trend, you know, it's, it's, it speaks to a greater sea change and ensures a kind of, visibility for, uh, you know, much greater diversity of artists in the art world, which is to say it's not just a bunch of white dudes, you know. I mean, hopefully right. this, this, is, this is something that sticks around. It's not just, but I mean, you know, in, in terms of the market, yeah, everybody wants basically portraiture of black people. And, um, and any time there's a kind of massive trend in the market, it's, you know, this creates a bubble, so on and so forth. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Yeah, um, you are, you are, that's clear, and that is interesting, and, and, and yeah, that is a trend that, that of course, is about, you know, diversity that's been long overdue, um, and, uh, yeah, and interesting, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see how things, yeah, develop. It's, it's, it's such an odd, extreme time, you know, between, 
yeah. as you're saying, Trump and, and, and all these other kind of wonderful things like, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and Me Too and, and everything else. It, it, it's still just tremendous upheaval and, and artists yeah. are, are reflecting this, which is, which is in, in some ways, um, you know, idiosyncratic in itself because everybody's trying to find their way in this, in this, in this world, in this, in this new set of kind of circumstances. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I guess we all hope that the diversity will continue, that it won't be just white dudes, as you're saying, that there'll be more women, more people of color, and more diversity in galleries, because for the longest time, yeah, it seemed that the only artists were coming from, you know, the East and West Coast or certain big cities and, and, and not the Middle East and not China and not a lot of other places, that it seems that there is a kind of almost the way world music suddenly became big, although I, I think that's a bad comparison, but that artists are, um, <laughs> yeah. are being welcomed from, from different parts of, of the world now. Yeah, and also even, you know, within America, I mean, from people of color to indigenous populations to, um, you know, I guess Latinx or what have you, it's, I feel like there's a whole... Um, part of American society and its history that um, is getting a lot more play um, in that respect. Well, Chris, it's so. great talking to you um, and exciting to especially talk about these topics and, and, uh, and the idiosyncratic nature, so to speak, of your, of your program. I want to ask you one more question, which is what are you reading at the moment? Um, I just, I'm about halfway through uh, George Saunders' first book of short stories, it's Civil Land in Bad Decline. Um, and something I just recently picked up, I, I don't know, one of my favorite writers is the kind of master of the idiosyncratic, um, Donald Barthelme. And I know that George Saunders is like a huge fan of Donald Barthelme. And I read one of his novels a few years ago, the, the Lincoln and the Bardo, which was a masterpiece, but I just never got into the short stories, but I'm, this one is just amazing. It's really, uh, it's kind of nothing like it. And it's, it's, it's funny. It's like it's incredibly bleak, um, but it's like comic bleakness, but there's, I'm, I, you know, I'm happy to notice that there's like real heartbreak in these stories. So really enjoying it. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for your talk today, and thank and I wish you well on the, on the gallery moving forward. Congratulations on that opening this year, and, and again, thank you so much for talking with me. You're my pleasure. Thank you for, for the invitation. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.